Hello and welcome to the Being Berlin podcast brought to you by Bands. I'm your host, Mac Matan, Canadian writer and Berlin resident who wants to share a piece of Berlin through recorded conversations. Whether it's the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us oh, at Being Berlin. My pleasure. It was something I wanted to do for a while. I don't know if you remember how we met. No, I don't. So there is a group on Facebook called, I believe it's called Black Berlin. Uh-huh. And some, I, I can't remember. Well, I, can't, I, I, can't. I remember being in the group. Yeah. I left the group. You left the group. I'm pretty sure I did. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad I found you before you left it. Yeah. So... I remember you made a post, and I mean, I'll just tell the background a little bit of the group. It's for black Berliners to connect, whether they are Afro-German or they're immigrants to here, you know, more recently. Mm -hmm. And I think I joined the group two months after moving to Berlin, uh-huh. thinking I, I need to meet some black people. <laughs> I need to talk to some black people, um, and which is a feeling a lot of black people have when they move here. Yeah, right. And... I found, you know, community in that group. And I, I remember I sent you a message because you wrote something about wanting to do English-speaking theater. Yeah, right. So what was that? What was the English-speaking theater that you were envisioning at the time? Well, I wanted to have black directors, writers, everybody black, you, you know, uh, <laughs> write plays about black people, mm. you know. And um, most of the plays that... that Nah, not that many plays have been done here. Uh, but I wanted to get away from, you know, racism. You know, let's talk about us, you know, our community. Not how white people treat us, but how we deal with each other. You know, uh, how Africans deal with Americans, you know, Brazilians, and how we deal with each other from different cultures. Christians, black Christians, black Muslims, you know, because the white folks... They're not going to ask you, you Christian or you Muslim, before they hit you in the head with a baseball bat, you know. So that's what that was about, you know, because there is no black theater here. I want to establish an English-speaking black theater. I think, uh, first of all, uh, because there is none. And second, uh, if English is your native language and, and you try to write a play, in German, you know, using your so-called phrasing or your language is difficult. You know, black folks don't say good day. You know, we, hey, man, what's up? What's happening? You know, you can't, it's hard to translate that in, in, in German. And there's enough English-speaking people. Here. Like, there's an English-speaking theater. It's white people. You know, I know the guy, uh, would you think they would say that? They would say we're for white people. Well, you they ain't gotta say it. Look at the plays they <laughs> look at the I, you know look at the plays they produce, you, you know, uh, uh, and they had one black theater down there, uh, a play written by Sharon uh, Otto. She's a part of ISD. All black cast, white guy directed it. I'm thinking y'all couldn't y'all didn't even look for a black director, you know. So 
I said, okay. Uh, and over the years, I've seen a lot of great actors, dancers, you know, come here and couldn't get work, you know, because uh, uh, there are no German plays written by Germans. Maybe they got one role, a police officer, drug dealer, you know, some token role for a black, maybe, most of the time not. So uh, the, the dancers from Alvin Ailey Dance Company come here and end up teaching, <laughs> you know, because they can't get a good job, you know, and there's no black dance company, you know, so, and you have to face it, black culture and white culture is different, different cultures, you know, so that was my goal, you know, uh, uh, and to give black writers the chance to show their work, you know, there's a lot of black folks from England, like yourself, from Canada, you know, who, Africa, Nigeria, you know, who speak English, speak better English than they do German, you know, so, and I'm not a big fan of, you know, German theaters. Like, it's a difference between black American poetry and white poetry. You know, a few black Americans, you know, who write poetry, we don't speak so much in metaphors and have you guessing about what we're talking about, the, what does the butterfly mean or this and that, you know, because uh, we live in a real world. We, we can't afford to have our people guessing, you know, just tell it like it is. Uh, so that was my main goal, you know, to get us together. And, you know, I had the space for us, and, and I wanted to do something else I wrote on there, too, which you mentioned, a Black Future Month instead of a Black History Month, you know. Uh, but a few people responded. Then I think the pandemic or something happened, and, you know, so. Uh, but I'm still very much interested in that. Mm -hmm. you know? Black Future Month is something that was made aware to me by my friend Kanima. And she's a black American. And I just thought the concept, it, it blew my mind because I'm so programmed that I didn't even think about a black future month. Mm. And then when I started thinking about it, I couldn't stop because as important as black history is and as diverse as black history is, we don't think about how we're going to exist in a future um, other than, you know, the dystopian future we imagine and the horrible stuff we imagine. Well, you know. As uh, Richard Pryor said one time, he watched some movie, I forget what it was, about the future. Now, this he said this back in the 70s. And he said, ain't no black people in this movie. So it lets us know they ain't got no future plan for us here, not on the elite level. No. You know, so if we don't think, I always say, you know, like here, you ask a black person what they, you know, what, what are their plans for the future? They look at their watch, you know? So I'm like, you know. Is that what it, like, is that why we have a, such a difficulty conceptualizing the future? We're so in the present of trying to survive? Well, a lot, that's a lot of it, you know? Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's surviving what we really just want to do. I want to survive, you know? I want to get from this week to the next week. I understand that, mm -hmm. you know? And if you're working and you're making, you got two jobs and all you do at home is sleep and eat, you know, uh, uh, you have a difficult time imagining the future, what it might look like. Mm -hmm. You just want to get out of the situation that you're in now. But there's something that we must, as a people, do, you know. You look at Africa, Brazil, uh, uh, any country where majority of people are black, 
you know, most of them, we struggling. We believe the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, we end up, these black countries end up in debt, you know, to the big, big companies, you know. They come, they take the minerals. Oh, yeah, we got the vote, you know, but we ain't got no power like in South Africa. Oh, yeah, we can vote now, but the same, the same property is still Soweto. It's still horrible, you know. Uh, uh, and then, you know, when you're around that much money, you start to forget what you what you want to get into politics or government or whatever for. You know, somebody, oh, you do this or do that, and, you know, you all of a sudden you got access to $20 million, you know, and the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're trying to skim off as much as you can, you know, you don't get the roads fixed, you know, you, 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 you don't get buses to, so people can take the pro produce to market, you, you know, uh, hospitals, parents, mothers can't, you know, get to the, uh, a hospital to take care of the kids in America, you know, what you think, oh, that ain't no problem. America, it is a problem. A lot of black American women, you know, died during ch childbirth, you know, it don't make no sense, you know, so. At astronomically higher rates than every other group. Hey, exactly, you know, so how many black men are incarcerated, you know, and <clears throat> in America, we got more people in jail, in prison in America than China, that don't make no sense. I mean, you know, we got more people in jail than any other country in the world. And over 50% of people in, in prison in America are Puerto Ricans or black folks. You know, that's just, you, you start talking. And 70% of them are held without a trial. Yep, plea bargain. 70%. Exactly. Don't even go to trial, you know, plea bargain. You know, oh, if you go to trial and, you know, you say you're not guilty and they're going to give you nine years, but we'll plea bargain and then you only had to do two years, but you'll still be a felony. And then you can't vote. You can't get no, no government loans. You can't go to college and you're on parole. If you're hanging out with somebody who's a criminal, but you don't know that and they catch you, you can go back to prison, you know? So your life is just ruined, you know? And uh, uh, when we was in Chicago with some kids from here, we talked to a black black female judge, retired, and she told the kids, if you don't have a plan for yourself, I can guarantee you, the man will. Talking about the white man, mm -hmm. the people in power. They got a plan for you, and it ain't going to look like nothing that you thought it would look like. You know, they're not going to educate This is a judge. They're not going to educate you, you know. They're gonna, not going to give you any opportunities, you know. You probably had to live in the same area because of redlining, which is still going on to this day. You know, you don't spend your whole life around other poor people. Like if you're poor, you're around other poor people. If you broke, who are you going to borrow money from? Everybody's poor, just like you, like any other neighborhood. Rich people live around rich people, you know. And what's even more to me uh, tragic is that the rich black folks, I'm talking about America now, they don't help the poor black folks, you know, in America. Like Oprah Renfrey, she goes to South Africa and opens a school for girls. This is a wonderful thing, you know, in South Africa. But, and, but she lives in Chicago. They could use one in Chicago, you know, or these athletes that, I mean, I read this. Uh, well, do, well, do you think 
that they're doing things, but it's just not advertised. Like maybe Oprah is does have her hand in a lot of different black charities, and we just don't know about it. Could that be the case? Yeah, it could be, but why? Why would somebody not want other black people to know what you do with your money and be an example? Uh, I, I, I'm gonna give uh, uh, ten million to this charity, but don't tell nobody the money came from me. Why not? Let everybody in this world know there's an Oprah Winfrey school for whatever, you know, yeah. unmarried, single, black mothers. You know, you got one in Chicago, I mean, in South Africa, you advertise for that. You advertise books, you know. Uh, uh, so why not that? And I tell my basketball players, I say, you know, I asked them the other day, uh, who's the greatest player of all time? And they named this name. And I said, why? I said, well, look at what they do with their money off the court, mm. you know. Kobe Bryant, bless his soul, he's mm -hmm. gone passed on. Michael Jordan, oh, Michael Jordan, Michael. I said, he's worth close to a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. You ever heard him doing anything with that no. money? Anything. No, but I have heard of, and I have to give him his flowers, LeBron James opened up a school in his community hey, for poor you. black kids. And Akron, Ohio. Yeah. You know, and well, also other kids, too. There are yeah, other right. ethnicities there, but and, he did it in his, in his home. And he pays for everything. He does. Every single thing. Thing. Yeah, and he gives out scholarships to college because he wants to be an example to the next generation coming up. He doesn't do this in secret, you know. And uh, so I asked the kids, "Well, if you had twenty million dollars, what would you do with that money?" Yeah, you know, I said, "That's a lot of money." I said, "You get twenty million dollars for five years. So after five years, you got a hundred million dollars. What would you want to be remembered for?" how many baskets you made, or what you did with that $100 million. You know, they all thought about it. They all thought about, I'll do this. I help junkies. I do that. I said, okay, then you be a, a good human being. I said, I respect them as basketball players, but as people off the court, I don't know. You know, they got a lot of money. You see them on TV, I five cars. I got a mountain, mansion, 17 rooms, nine bathrooms, a disco in the back. A big yard, basketball court. I got five Rolex watches. I'm thinking we'll give that money to some of these kids so they can go to college, so they don't get in debt like they are now, you know. But if they don't do that, hey, they're just a basketball player to me or athlete, you know. And when they're black, well, you got Africans playing professional football and basketball. They do more for their communities back in Africa and in Greece than we do, than African-Americans do. Mm. You know, and they, I'm going to build a hospital. I'm going to build a, a, a dentist clinic. You know, I'm going to do this, you know. Now, we can take our money, and like Shaq O'Neal, he said, when I got my check, I spent a million dollars in four hours. A million dollars. Must be nice. I said, <laughs> you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You know, you're on TV bragging about you spend a million dollars. You could have sent... How many kids to college? You know, how many old folks could you pay their rent, you know, with a million dollars? But you're on TV bragging about you bought this, bought that. I got nine cars, but I drive this one. I'm saying, okay, well, I have nine. So, you know, that's what I try to instill upon the kids. They let, you know, if you do something, you know, at that level, mm -hmm. you should let other people know mm -hmm. what you're doing with your money, you know? So then, you can say, this is what I'm doing 
off the court. Yeah. I come from poor. I ain't just going to buy my grandmama a big-ass house that she don't want. I want to give back to my community. That's what I'm about, as much as I can, you know? Okay. Yeah, that's a lot to think about. I think I feel sometimes uncomfortable criticizing other black people um, because... First of all, I like to do it in my community. If I'm going to criticize black people, it's going to only be around other black people because I just don't do that weird shit where people bash black people to non to like white people or non-black people. I just think that's weird. I don't like it. But I hear what you're saying and I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, as you say bash them. No, no, no. I think what you've said is very important and I just think you know, we're at a disadvantage as black people globally. We're in a crisis, and I, it's not its not something that's nice to acknowledge. It's not nice to feel. But it's even worse to live it and not do anything about it. So I hear that so deeply, and I think I, I, there are shining examples of which we name. There's a lot of people who are nameless, unsung heroes. But I do also think the capitalist order the patriarchal, capitalist, white supremacist order that we live under just has taken away our imagination in a way that seems almost irretrievable at this point. Um, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't say irretrievable, but it just feels like it's so far away. What do you think, if you could like give advice to someone who's not a LeBron James, someone who's making, I don't know, like 65,000 euros a year or 60,000 American dollars, just a normal, typical person, 30 years old, maybe single, maybe not, what should they do with their money? Because they don't have a lot of it. No. And under the current situation, you can't do much more. It depends on where you live at, how much you're paying for rent. You can't even live in New York making that kind of money a year. You're going to pay $1,200, $1,500, $2,000 a month Mm -hmm. for rent. You know, so uh, I don't know what you could do with your money. But you got time. There's always time to, you know, be a be a big brother to a, a kid who doesn't have any adult or male figure to look up to. You know, volunteer to help at the community center. Be a tutor. Yeah. You know, the tutoring uh, is big. Uh, be, be it, you know, and be and be reliable. Don't say you're gonna show up like when I was working at these orphanages. You know, we had a lot of big brothers. Half of them wouldn't show up on the weekends. I got four kids waiting for the big brother. Big brother ain't there. They, you know, uh, so money, money doesn't shouldn't prevent us from doing anything. They, you know, we can always do something. You know, to help. You know, uh, I, you know, when I was thirty, almost the same situation. You know, uh, so I always helped coach basketball. You know, went to uh, festivals and helped set up and did poetry readings and had theater groups and tutored, of course, you know, taught theater for free at the centers, you know, hopefully somebody can get a job. And uh, so, like I said, there's things you can do, mm-hmm. you know. Now, if you got money in this thing, you can do more things. Yeah. You know? So if I had if I had $20 million a year, you know, let's manifest that for me, dear God, please. Okay, so if I had a huge pot of money... I think the inclination about, like, opening schools is a really big one. But a school is a very expensive operation. 
even at 20 million, you know, you can go through a lot of money very quickly with the salaries of the teachers. However, I think if I did live, to answer your hypothetical question, if I did live in a community like Chicago or just pretty much any like inner city, I would pay for just a bunch of tutors to tutor a bunch of children. And I think the impact of education is almost incalculable. So that's where I would start to like teach kids. Well, you know, uh, if you go to Detroit, now you can buy houses in Detroit for like five, ten thousand dollars. Wow! If you fix them up, that's all they want. You know, all oh, these empty yeah. houses and yeah. everywhere. Okay, you take those houses. Now yeah. you take uh, one million dollars. You can buy a lot of houses and fix them up. Now you can put, you can have old folks. If you want to use that term, community. You know, old folks scared to go. Our elder citizens scared to go outside. You know. Uh, uh, eating, you know, making meatloaf out of dog food and stuff like this, right. you know, can't pay for the medicine. There's a lot of things you can do, that, you know. Mm-hmm. You can take 20 elderly people and pay for their medicine so they can keep their Social Security money that they pay for their medicine, you know. So uh, these are things that, but you got to be creative and you got to look for it, you know. You can't just sit down and expect people to come running to you, you know. Now, when we was in Chicago, uh, uh, I asked one that uh, uh, we met some baseball players, went to a baseball game. And I said, man, I've been driving around, you know. I've only seen one baseball field. He said, well, they don't have them too much here. You know, that's why a lot of black kids aren't playing baseball anymore. When the baseball league back in the 70s and 80s was like 80% black, okay. They don't have baseball fields because the kids were gang-banging at the baseball field, so they didn't use them anymore. So there's one black baseball player. He built a baseball field. This episode is brought to you by Bands. Bands is a rock band program for hobbyist musicians. If you have a flair for music and have always wanted to join a rock band as a hobbyist, Bands is the program for you. Visit bandsberlin.com and register to get started. You'll have an audition with a musical mentor, and then you'll be placed in a group of fellow hobbyist musicians to meet up once a week for rehearsals. Once again, that's bandsberlin.com. So the kids could hire security, so the black security, so the kids could feel free to play baseball because they're all playing soccer. You know, so money can do good things. It can turn people's heads. Unfortunately, in America... Uh, uh, you know, we we get wrapped up into that capitalist American dream. You know, we all can make it. Pull ourselves up by our by our, our, our bootstraps, and and don't. Do you work. believe in that? Do you Pull, believe in pulling yourself up by your boots? You got to have boots first. <laughs> Hello. You know, so, wake that up. Yeah, thank you. You know, so uh, not being black, not by myself, I wouldn't be here where I am now. It wasn't for the black community that I grew up in, and one for the teachers, which I had all black teachers who lived in our community, and they made sure, we, and they knew our parents, so they made sure that we got a good education, you know, and that we just didn't move along, you know. If you didn't make it, you had you were held back a year, you know, uh, uh, and, and still pride, you know, and, and, and being a strong community. They ain't about hating nobody, but, you know, it's, it's about who we are. Bring it up to my generation, 
Let's talk about the Black Panthers of Malcolm X or Marcus Garvey. Black folks were scared of them. You know, I'm serious. <laughs> you know, oh, you know that that so and so is crazy. You know, or when I had my afro, oh man, you know what kind of you nappy hair? We used to say good hair and bad hair. Yeah, you know? they still say that. Yeah, so now you think, okay, good hair means your hair is straight like white persons. You know, you look on TV. I'm like, man, I'll be so glad when I see one black woman on American TV with her hair natural, ain't hanging all down like. Barbie dolls and stuff like this. So I'm going like, okay. I can't think of any right now. I can't think of any. I'm talking about There's years. There's got to be some. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they interviewed Michelle Obama and talked to her about the mm-hmm. same issue. She said, well, I don't think America was ready for me having an Afro. Talking about white folks. Okay. And I was thinking, who cares? You you, you should wear, wear your hair Anywhere you want to. These white folks wear their hair while your hair have to look like Barbie dolls, Mm -hmm. you know. And so what that would have done, you know, to young black women and the pride in their hair, you know. So and oh, uh, the new the new black Supreme Court justice, Ketanji Brown, I believe is Ketanji Brown Jackson, if I'm not mistaken. She has her hair in locks. Yeah. Okay. Now she don't care what people think. Like I don't care when I had dread. Why should I care what this, what this, what Hans cares about my hair? You, you know, uh, especially when the problem is your skin color. That's the problem, right? <laughs> so, like, but, who cares about the hair? And so you know, it it, it it irritates me sometimes. You know, when I walk down the street and I see white boys or white people with dreadlocks, it bothers you. Yeah, it does. Really? My, like I said, my dreadlocks used to be almost down to the floor. Yeah. Okay. Now, and the reason I say that, you know, when I, now there's people today, even though I've cut my dreadlocks, they still call me Rastamon, okay? Uh, uh, And I look at these white people, and we call them fashion dreads, you know? Do they really believe in, you know, what they got on their head? Do they know what it is? You know, every black person that I pass with dreadlocks, we acknowledge each other because like we got something in common, you know, because it ain't, it ain't no joy to walk as a black person to walk around with real dreadlocks, not the ones you go to. You just let your hair grow, you know. So we acknowledge each other. Now, I can stand next to a white person with dreadlocks and you act like we ain't, you know, act like I ain't there. I look at them, you know, just to get the acknowledgement. They, they tighten up because they know that I think they're not really authentic. You know, mm-hmm. they're fashion dreads. You know, they're trying to be cool. They like reggae music, so they say. But they don't really want to be black. No, they really don't want to associate with the struggle because all Rastas, you know, we don't didn't believe in Rasta man vibrations, smoking weed and, you know, Land in the sun, you know. Do you know, I had a friend of mine. My fr- he's my friend, one of my closest friends' husband, and he said, "I love the Rastafarian religion because they have a god of marijuana." <laughs> and I just thought, how fucking stupid! Excuse my language. How stupid do you have to be right. to think that you've yeah. never even opened a book about it? They have no. the same, they believe in God, dummy. They believe in the same God as everyone else. You know, like, like I said, it's, just, it's a lot of just stupidity. Yeah. You know, 
And, uh, you know, roster man, vibrations, all we listen to is reggae music. That's it. You know, like, don't even know that, you know, there was roster for Iron before reggae music. Mm-hmm. Before Bob Marley, mm-hmm. there was, you know, rosters, you know. Yeah. So you're just showing your ignorance. But talking about back to Nat Turner, you know, what they, what Americans do, white Americans, they practice collective punishment for anybody who stands up and, you know, wants their rights, their God-given rights. That I ain't talking about voting and all this stuff, you know, but just your God-given right to be a human being, you know, to be treated like a human being, to, to you know, uh, uh, have drinking water, insurance, just things that we take for granted. We should be taken for granted now. Now, celebrating Martin Luther King's Day, people don't mention he was shot, right? No, Sassy. they mention he had a dream. He had a dream. And they don't want to talk about, well, is it a dream? Where is it? It, has a, it, it was a dream because it hasn't come to reality, as no. far as I know, not even close. And people go, oh, we made progress. What? Where? When? Who? Show me. We had a black president. My greatest fear when Obama was elected president, I told a friend, I said, you know, my greatest fear is when he becomes president, everybody going to talk about, oh, racism is over in America. We got a black president. You know, blah, 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 blah. You know, so it didn't. You know, we still got racism, and black folks still don't have nothing. You know, as far as wealth, I'm not talking about Three million, four million. I'm talking about what we own. Mm. You know what is ours. You know when banks like Wells Fargo admit, "Oh, we cheated black and brown people. We charged them more for this and for that. You know for interest rates or whatever. You know, hey, black people still bank at Wells Fargo. You know, I'm like, you couldn't get me. Somebody admit, yeah, Anthony, we've been treating, mistreating, and cheating." people who look like you but you still gonna bank there so what do you say when, when when you're dealing with that kind of black people's mentality you know that we think we need sometimes white people to validate who we are we wear our hair so white people will accept the way we wear our hair we try to talk like you what do you say to people who don't want to live in a racialized world i'm talking about black people who don't want to be identified by their color they just want to be a person like everyone else and they don't want to feel obligated to buy black you know like go to a black bank go to black establishments or think just have that consciousness of their color and they they want to live post-racially what do you say to them well, they're going to they're gonna have to live a long time, you know, if they want to live in a post-racial anywhere, you know. Now, I, a long time ago, you know, I told myself, I don't want to be seen as a black person. I want to be seen as a person. That goes way back, you know. But unfortunately, the world ain't like that, you know. You can tell yourself that's what you want to be, which is what I think anybody wants to be. I want to be known as Anthony for what I've done in my life. Not for Anthony, a black man. You, you should be able to leave that out. If it's just an adjective, just just tells you what color your skin is, you know. has nothing else to do about you, you know. Uh, unfortunately, in reality, 
it has a lot to do with who you are. It has a lot to do with where you were born, where you, how you were raised, who you were raised by, how the police treat you, how the schools treat you, you know, how the universities treat you, how you go to get a job with dreadlocks. You ain't going to get the job, bruh. You can't go into some establishment with a lawyer with dreadlocks down below your knees. It just ain't going to happen, you, you know. You can't, you know, uh, the police force, they shooting us in the back as we running away so we can think, yes, I love that that ideology, that dream that you have. But you need to wake up and say, it ain't like that, you know. And as long as we, oh, I, 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 you know, run around trying to be something, trying to be like what they want you to be, and you forget your own culture, which is what they've been doing to black folks since we went to America when they colonized Africa. The first thing was they don't speak this language, speak this language, that language, you know, bow to us and all this other stuff, you know. So when white folks start being racist, maybe we can all start to look at ourselves as, as human beings. But when the people who run the world don't look like me and you, and they are racist, white supremacists. Well, you had President of America, who's a white supremacist, said things about, oh, African countries are shitholes. This is the President of America, you know? So how are you going to approach this man as his equal? Because he don't look at you as in, you shouldn't even be in the same room with him, you know? So as a people, I think every human being wants to be seen as a human being, period. I think most of us want the same thing, you know. But as long as we're denied having what Joe has because of our skin color, then we got a problem, you know. Yeah. I get reluctant to really talk about how deeply I feel about this. On the one hand, being black is not at the front of my mind at every moment of my life. Obviously, I'm a full human being. I have a lot of different thoughts, but... My blackness is something that was imposed on me. Because if you think about it, you and I, Anthony, we have brown skin. We are part of the black identity, the black race, historically speaking. But these are even words that were imposed on us, right? And now it's become our identity. And I'm, I'm happy and proud to be black. But on the other hand... I think when I hear people who are just exhausted of thinking about it constantly or having to deal with the repercussions, I say to them, well, I mean, whether or not you want to think about it, it's thinking about you. Thank you. You know, I, you know, one, sometimes on Facebook, somebody wrote, oh, I'm so tired of talking about racism. <laughs> all the, when George Floyd and all this thing was going on, I thought, who isn't? You know, try being black and we don't have that luxury. Oh, this is a white person that yeah. said the O. Yeah, we don't have that luxury. There's a shocker. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Now, like you, when I'm at home, I don't think about my color. It don't cross my mind. Right. You know, I'm sitting there listening to my music, doing, reading a book, doing whatever I'm doing. You know, it doesn't cross my mind. But I do know, as soon as I walk out that front door, it becomes an issue. You know, whether I walk down the street and there's two white people talking, and they look over and see me on crutches and don't move an inch so I can get by to where I got to say, excuse me, can I get through here? 
And then when I, okay, getting on the bus. And you're a 70-year-old man. On crutches. That is so disgusting. Yeah, right. Now, black people don't do it. Turkish people don't do it. They will move. I go by people sitting on the chairs, had their feet like this in the sidewalk, and won't move the feet, you know? And I got to take my cane and hit their feet. They go, oh, excuse me. You know, I'm like, I ain't going to move an inch. You know, so I think we all want that, you know, but... Man, and some of us want to be white. I'm sorry, but that's the problem. You know, a lot of us trying to uh, uh, assimilate into a culture that doesn't want us. Yeah. You know, yeah. and turn and you know, uh, what a lot of, well, I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and uh, we were talking about informants. He's a little older than me. You know, like, uh, we know a guy who is an informant, you know. Black dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's uh, uh, see, when, when the military was here, there was, I don't know, a whole bunch of informants. Informing about <laughs> okay. somebody smoking weed. Informing about who was a militant, you know, who was preaching down with the government, you know. Now, in the Black Panthers, there are a whole bunch of them. <laughs> you know, you couldn't, you didn't trust anybody, you know. The first FB, black FBI agents were recruited to infiltrate Marcus Garvey, you know. They the ones that steered him to buying all these ships that wouldn't float invest in this. These are black people in the FBI bringing down a black person who had a lot of power and authority who only meant good for the black community. We can't have that, you know, because they want to keep them black folks down. Why? Uh, 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 money. Uh, money. and uh, uh, That's it? Huh? There's enough money to share with everybody. You know, you see on the news the other day, 1% 1% of the world's population owns, what, 45% of the world's wealth? It's probably higher than 45% now. Well, since the yeah. pandemic, the 1% the richest people have got, have gained $26 trillion. $26 trillion. <laughs> more wealth in, in, in the tune of $26 I didn't, trillion. I, knew, I knew it was a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's trillion. Trillion. And the rest of and the rest of us, the other ninety nine percent in the world, we've increased our wealth by sixteen trillion. I'm like, my goodness, you know, there's enough money. That is so wrong. Yeah. So, you know, so they keep us down because we're black, but nobody can really put any kind of logic to racism. Like no. you said before, you know, why enslave these people? You know. Uh, and make them subhuman, you know? Uh, why hate Jewish people? Why hate Muslims? Uh, for what? Why hate Asian people? You know, it doesn't cross my mind to dislike somebody because of what they look like, you know? It just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not my nature, you know? Uh, so that's why it's difficult to understand. It wasn't, all, and to be, to be honest, it wasn't always in the European nature before... Uh, the discovery of the quote-unquote new world, there were a lot of different um, black, brown, right. Asian people who came to Europe, the trade routes, people who settled in Europe. If you look, there's a really cool uh, Twitter page, I believe it's a Twitter page, it used to be Tumblr, I think, about uh, just in, in medieval paintings and Renaissance paintings, like images of brown and black people. Yeah, there right. were a lot of them. And I think, like, I don't, it wasn't really part of the European psyche to just hate someone based on their appearance no. and based on the fact that they were black. It, the Roman Empire, there's Roman Empire's filled with black figures. There's black people. Augustine, they think Augustine was a black man, you yeah, know? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's if, if in history, 
there's all kind of mixtures of people, you know. And for some reason, when slavery, when they took these, I don't know, 30, 40 black folks to America as slaves, well, we had to come up with some kind of reason that we would, as good Christians, why would we slave these certain kind of people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so they came up with whatever reasons, you know, it says in the Bible and all this other kind of stuff. You know, we the curse need, of Ham. The curse of Ham. Mm. It says in the Bible, slaves should be obedient and this other stuff. One drop of blood makes you black. And I hear black people telling that now. I say, that's what they used to enslave you, fool. Yeah. You know, one drop of blood to make you nothing, basically. Yeah. You know, so your great-great-granddaddy was black, so you think you black now. And black, you know, like in the 60s, it, it became a, a black as a, a state of mind, you know, what we used to say, you know. And uh, so now I don't even know what that state of mind is anymore. I see a lot of self-hate in the black community, you know because of the violence in the black community. It's self-hate, the drugs, the alcoholism. The, you know, well, the drugs were, you know, black families and the middle class and even the working class, they were not into drugs prior to the 70s, you know? so. Well, drugs. Not the the hard drugs I'm talking about, you know. Well, I'll speak from experience. Okay. You know, nineteen sixty eight, I was sixteen. Okay, so we smoked marijuana. That was it, you know. Now, let's say in the seventies when discos came about, then you guys start having more like psychedelic drugs, LSD, speed, because you want to stay up all night and go to discos and stuff like this. Now. In the bigger cities, you had mostly amongst the musicians, what they call hipsters, you had your cocaine and your, your heroin, you know, like in the 50s and back, you know, Billy Holiday. Which is, this was done by all races. Yeah, heroin does, does not distinguish. <laughs> well, the cocaine, the weed, the speed, the, this was like, it's not like this is not a black issue. This was everybody was doing Everybody, it. Yeah. everybody. It's just the black people was one getting arrested, mm -hmm. you know, so... Now, when you had the opioid epidemic, oh, now drug, the drug addicts, they need treatment. But when it was black people, just put them in jail. You know, so, and then the prisons became privatized, yeah. so it benefited the big business to arrest as many people as possible. They couldn't go out to the suburbs and arrest these little white boys going to Yale. There's more drugs on any college campus than, you know, when I was at Miami University, oh, all the white boys had great drugs, you know. Uh, uh, and so they could afford it. So it all goes hand in hand. It's easier to lock up some black guy, you know, 25 years old, who has $50 worth of uh, uh, cocaine and give him five years. This episode is brought to you by Bands. Bands is a rock band program for hobbyist musicians. If you have a flair for music and have always wanted to join a rock band as a hobbyist, Bands is the program for you. Visit bandsberlin.com and register to get started. You'll have an audition with a musical mentor, and then you'll be placed in a group of fellow hobbyist musicians to meet up once a week for rehearsals. Once again, that's bandsberlin.com. You know, that's what they're doing these days, you know. So how do you solve that, you know? And, and like I said, you go to prison, 
And if you want a criminal violent when you went to prison, you will be when you come out. You know, so we're... Well, also, after you leave prison, it's almost impossible to get a job because they ask about your record. Right. And then you're often left with no choice but to do more crime because yeah. you don't have a way of making money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a revolving door, you, you know. Even if you're associated with another criminal or, like you said, they ask you if there's anything violent, you know, oh, I was arrested for uh, uh, assault and battery, a robbing a 7-Eleven with a, with a pistol. Wasn't even loaded, but that's what they got me for. Okay, nobody's going to hire you. You know, they don't want you around their money. And if they're racist, then you really ain't got no chance. You can go there sometimes with no record and not get a job. So uh, now think about that. How many black men, what is it, a third of all black men go to prison? One of every three black men is going to be a felon between the age of 25 and 30 in America, 25 and 35. That's a lot of black men going to jail. I mean, you know what it comes down to, and this is, uh, people call it conspiratorial. I don't. I just look at the numbers. It's the eradication of the black family so that yeah. we don't have any more black babies. And, and this, like, I am for anybody wanting to have a family, not wanting to have a family. I just mean just looking at, star looking at it starkly. When it became evident that the m more of the individuals getting abortions were white women this is part of the reason the push against abortion has been so fierce because in some states and in quite a few southern states the brown the latino births were outpacing the white births mm -hmm. and the and and also the white votes are split in red states the split is a little bit it's obviously like you're going to have more white republicans and white conservatives but the white vote can be split generally speaking the black vote is not split the latino vote it's arguable but i think you know with everything happening at the border and you know just the unhinged racism in this day and age it and 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 the fact that young people now millennials are the first cohort to not become more conservative as they age. They stay left wing. The, the white Republicans are in a crisis because like, well, damn, we tried locking up all the black men and ruining the black family. And, you know, that's how we're going to stay in power. They've lost Georgia. You know, they, they, they are so scared of, Georgia, of losing Georgia that they, they brought in a black Republican to uh, face off against Raphael Warnock, I think. Um, Herschel yes, Herschel Walker. Who, uh, he was an idiot. Who he cannot string a sentence together, but uh, you know, um, he's also a liar who claims that he loves the you know being a father. And th the problem with black people and black men is that they're absent fathers. He has four or five children born out of wedlock. He's paid for abortions. He doesn't know his kid as other kids, you know. So it's like it's the hypocrisy for me. But they're seeing a trend that they're losing power and they're they're doing everything they can to not only keep it but it's through cheating and lying and extremely harsh punishment and just cruelty they're so cruel well i mean america is is a, is a is a is a cruel cruel place you know in a lot of ways i don't just talk about just you know physical cruelness but how we how we live you know and how we expect other people not to live you know now they take Herschel walker Cause they think, oh, he's an athlete. He ain't got everybody it. knows so him. So everybody knows him. How he loves our athletes. 
and he can run a 100-yard dash and whatever, so he can get on stage and talk about vampires and werewolves and all kind of nonsense and hug Trump, and we're going to vote for him. And why? And a lot of people did vote for him. I imagine every white person probably in Georgia voted for him because he was a black man they could control. You know? Yeah, we take him. We can control him. He'll do yeah. whatever Trump says. So that's been through our history. You know, now you take a, an intelligent person like Warnock, well, you know, he's going to stand up for black people and destroying the family. You destroy the family, the community comes next. You know, now, when I remember back in the 60s, when they were talking about welfare and this other kind of stuff, we had a strong black community, you know. We had a p black police chief, like I said, teachers, doctors, you know. Now, because we had strong families, you know. I knew two people my age, where I'm from, who only had a mother. Everybody else had a mother and a father. Like, I grew up, I didn't know a single mother, you know, because uh, uh, we believed in the family. If you had a, if you got some girl pregnant, it was just expected. You're going to help raise that child, you know? And, you know, so, but that's from where I'm from, Southern Ohio, which all along the Ohio River, <clears throat> there were all kind of little black communities because, you know, slaves crossed the Ohio River and they'd be free. So they felt no further to go, no sense to go any further. You know, so all along the Ohio River, there's a whole bunch of all black, used to be anyway, communities strong black mayors and whatever. Okay, so they went after that. We got to destroy the black family because they want to destroy the black community because we need these black these black people to, you know... To be slaves in prison. To be slaves in prison, to do slave labor in prison. And so they privatized the prison. We need people to fill the prisons to make a profit, you know? So they started... Who are they going to arrest? Oh, black people. And so they make your conditions so horrible that, well, you join the army to fight for the same people who keep you down. And so, you know, we feel the militaries, the cemeteries, and, 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 and militaries, cemeteries, and the prison systems, you know? So if we don't have our own, it's going to just keep going just like that, like it is now. And I don't see no way out of it unless we have our own. You know, like, like I said, you take here, Berlin, you know any place where black person owns? I know of the Sahara Imbis restaurants, and I know the Lali Bay Ethiopia restaurant. I think that's what it's called. Um, I know a few food spots. That's about it. Yeah, I know the Blue Nile and the Cartoon. Now, I don't know no place owned by a black German. This is their country. You know, this is a this is German. Yeah, you mean they're all they're all immigrants. Yeah, that I'm yeah. like okay, yeah, not people I, who are like have been born and raised here. Okay. I, I don't know one. I've been here all these years. I've never been to a place one. There's a copy shop owned by a black German. Now, if they can't get it together in their own country, you have to wonder why not. What's going on with this with these people? You know, so when the Africans come, they open a restaurant. You know, uh, the, the, there's the Blue Nile and a few other restaurants. A lot sometimes they might be look like they're owned by a black person, but a lot of times they're owned by the black person's white German wife or something, you know. So you never know, you know. But I mean, that's yeah. that's just a fact. I mean, you, you know? know what? You got to start somewhere, I guess. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not you know uh, uh, knocking them. 
I'm just saying that's the reality. No, you, you know, gotta because you, know. you 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 gotta fight really hard. That's the thing. Yeah, right. And I think I think this is this is why they don't. Um, if there is a reason for it, and I I I say this because I recognize this in my own life, the amount of fighting I have to do to get through a day is just unfair. Oh, yeah, and it's so much that I I I, I completely understand why that might be the case but unfortunately like i i just can't accept this so that's why that's why i choose to fight well you know as you mentioned before uh, on facebook about the black theater you know now these are all things that it would help all of us you know to be able to see this being expressed on theater and on stage and that in our own words you know and a support system as long as you struggle day daily, so do, does so do a lot of us. Where's your Where's our support system? Mm. You know, uh, where's the the black poets? You know, the poetry readings that we can go to. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the clubs that we can go to and feel comfortable. You know, and don't hear music that just oh man, what's that change is music. You know, uh, and see a black face behind the bar. And no a black person owns this place, you know, and uh, don't exist, you know. Mm-hmm. And from my, from how I look at black people, we social people. That's how I see it, you know. We like to hang out, you know, barbecue and, you know, laugh and joke and all this other stuff, you know. But we don't have that here, yeah. you know. And I, of course, will support, I support turkeys. Anybody but German uh, institutions, unless they're real cool. But those are the ones I do support, but going to, they're black, white, gay people, you know? And they got a lot more power than, than, than black people do here. You try to get the gay people and the black people together, let's unite. <laughs> you know, the gay people for it, it's the black people. You know, that I'm gay people, blah, blah, blah. You out your mind. You know, so as long as there is no support system a place you can go and sit down other than your own living room and sit down and go oh oh man oh that's aretha franklin oh man that sounds good <laughs> and there ain't no white person trying to be cool <laughs> you know and have your beer and somebody come on and say hey, sister how you doing you feel okay you know as long as we don't have that you know you're in the apartment with your own thoughts you know and and and, and that's a bad place to be at you know uh and, you know, a place that when we had the Blues Cafe, we opened it for a place for black people could go and congregate and laugh and joke together. So tell me about that. When did you open the Blues Cafe? Well, it first opened in, uh, by a guy named Cornelius Robinson. He's from Alabama. He first opened it up in 78. Okay. You know, and, uh, so this had, is obviously in West West Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then he had a heart attack. He had it for like I don't know how many years. He had a heart attack, and he uh, uh, he asked me to take it the, the first one. He asked me to take it over, you know, because I, I said okay. Then they sold the building, and we closed that one. Now we, we I took it over from Rob because it's always established, you know. He always had black musicians and blues, and I placed for where I first got here. One of the first places I went to was the Blues Cafe. So then when they sold the building and we moved it to Potsdamer Strasse, you know, 
and when you open it up, bigger place, you know, uh, same concept, you know, black music, black musicians, you know, trying to hire as many black people as possible. The whole thing is business, you know, so you're trying to, you know, generate, you know, business and empower people with some money so they can live decently. You know, I know a lot of musicians who live here don't have insurance. Okay, here, bro, I'll give you a little job in a, at a cafe. Hey, you, you can even play here, and we pay you, and you can get you some Kunstler uh, insurance, you know, uh, uh, and you ain't got to owe your weed, man, 10 euros because you relied upon Hans to give you a gig at the Bosch Hall, and Hans gives you a gig in uh, November. Well, yo, bro, it's August. You know, you ain't got no money coming in until November, you know, so that's the reason why we why we open it, you know, uh, and then we close it for uh, police harassment, you know, so uh, uh, police parking the cars, you know, in front of our door on Friday, Saturday nights, coming in, closing us down. Why? Looking for drugs, uh, never found nothing, you know. Cause we black, but like so. So what could you like? What were your avenues for complaining about it? Like what could you do to get rid of them? Nothing. Go to the police. <laughs> <laughs> so we got two good lawyers, you know, and uh, I think I got a picture. Wanted something happened to us. Uh, so we got two good lawyers. They went to the arms. We you, know, you you complain to the police about the police. Who else you gonna complain to? The prosecutor, you know. So. We won the case, you know, but there's no law that says the police can't park their car in front of your your bar, you know. So you got a police, I mean a van, not just a little police car, one of these big riot vans with six, seven cops in their riot gear. They parked in front of our cafe. People drive by and say, oh, man, I was going to come in tonight. But the police, what's going on? Police is outside your club. Oh. You know. So you needed, what you needed to do was... Uh get some money together, buy four or five cars and just keep them parked there <laughs> so the police couldn't park. The thing was, <laughs> you couldn't park there unless you were the police. Oh, you know, it's like okay. one, Yeah, you know, it's like trying wow. to park on a Rheinstrasse. You're really not supposed to park there. But if you're the police... So they were there every single weekend? Like every Friday, Saturday night. You know, sometimes they never came in. They just would be out there, you know, and... And people would then want to. Who wants to go to a club when you got some weed in your pocket? And so it was, police, it was targeted harassment to shut you down. Yeah, that's well, what it was for to get rid of you. Yeah, they took us to court one time. You know, uh, the cops uh, took you to court. Oh uh, yeah. For what? Uh, they came in one night, and it was uh, Catherine, another guy named George Bowling, just three people, and myself. They came in, closed the door, locked us in the place, you know, searched the whole cafe, even turned the garbage, in, dumped the garbage on the floor, looked through in bottles, looked every place, looking for drugs. Okay, so they didn't find anything. So they go back in the back. There was an old stop sign from the DDR. They came back out and accused me of having stolen government property. I said, that's from the DDR. It don't even exist anymore, you know. So then they, some other trumped-up charges, we were uh, uh, used, insulted them and this kind of stuff. No, so that's not illegal, is it? it I would lie to go on. 
you know, because George Brolin was saying, y'all coming in here like SS troopers. He didn't say, and if he said, you come in here, you're an SS trooper. They could say that's biological. But if you say, you you come in here acting like an SS, anyway, we go to gotcha. court. Yeah, and uh, we had cases against them. They lied, didn't show up at court, made up a whole bunch of stuff while they was there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just riding around in our riot gear and just stopped in the Blues Cafe. And the lawyer said, it don't work like that. You got to be told to go there. So we took them to court and uh, won. You know, I said, okay. So after that, knowing that the situation was going to get a lot worse, you know, uh, with our customers. You know, like I said, you, you can't run a business with the police coming in telling you, we got a complaint from somebody across the street that's just loud music here going on and before or five people and 8 o'clock at night on a summer night. There's nobody in the cafe. He was sitting out front. You know, this kind of stuff. So I said, well, this this don't make any sense. You know, so we filed, we said we closed the cafe and the official reason was police harassment. Let me see if I got this photo. Where's that? Okay. Oh. Yeah, I take off the headphones. All right. Um, That's me and George Bowling naked. Yeah. In the cafe. They strip searched you. Well, they um, they wanted to how how that picture came about. They wanted to take us outside. Like that. And no, with our clothes on. Okay. And strip search us out outside. What? In the van. And I was like, I'm, and George said, I'm not going outside. Alone with no six, you know, police officers want to strip search me. He says, So if y'all gonna strip search me, we do it here. And so he took his clothes off, which I didn't know about. Uh, uh, and that's what happened. What is that you're reading? It's, it's, I thought there was more of this, but this is just the photo. Wow, this is shocking. Yes. And uh, so we decided after that, we can't, you know, we can't continue on like this, you know. So, uh, and yeah, so that's why we closed. Now, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm yes, very, very sorry. Yeah, so the funny thing about that is, is that some black Americans started spreading rumors. Now, the police came in, had his land on the floor, oh, no. hand, yeah, handcuffed because we were snorting and snorting cocaine and smoking weed with the door open. I'm like, I, I might be dumb, but I ain't that dumb, they, you know. And that's what they were saying. So the one guy, uh, uh, I sent him uh, the copy of the uh, court things, right? He sent it back, didn't even open it. I said, I mean, this is the truth. These are the facts. This is what happened in court. This is what the accusations were. Here's the paper. I made um, 30-some pages. Mm-hmm. He didn't even open it. I said, so you rather just go around spreading Rumors ain't got nothing to do with reality as if it's our fault, you know, and it has nothing to do with what it has nothing to do with drugs, first of all, you know. So, uh, just to show you what how vicious our own people can be sometimes toward each other, 
you know? Yeah, you know, there's always, I mean, I guess in our community we would call them coons, because that's what they are. Um, But this is a real problem, not just in the African-American community, even in, wherever there is, like, a a congregation of black people, in African nations, for example, most people, you know, they know what time it is, and then there's a few individuals for the lure of money and status, you know, they align with the white hegemony and they secure lives for themselves and their families. Often like leaders in Africa, like the, like despots and really shady individuals who allow the theft of their nation in exchange for them having a house somewhere in Paris. Like this is happening. Like this is a thing. And you know, that's why there is a little bit of complicity within the black community. Obviously, not the not the community, but there's there's always individuals who do stuff like that. Well, it's hard to sometimes to, you know, that's I mean it's been like this in in the states. You know, a lot of it's just jealousy or why should he make it, not me? And I don't want to see. You know, it's mm-hmm. like crabs in a barrel. Mm-hmm. You know, calling up on each other, trying to get out, and not realizing that you know we can help each other instead of you know holding somebody back. You know, you try to get seven, eight black musicians here to say, hey, man, aren't y'all tired of running around after the haunts and this wolf gong for a gig? Let's get our own place. When we got the Blues Cafe, the second one, oh, you know, try to get people to invest. There were some people that came in, you know, $200 U.S. here to help buy paint, whatever, but they actually take part in it. You know, uh-uh, you know, uh, uh, couldn't, couldn't do it, you know. And most of the black people who came there, musicians, they, they, well, one guy come in and he wanted to buy, he wanted free drinks for his three or four friends and himself because he had been to the Junction Bar and they had spent all their money at the Junction Bar. So they come to me and want me to get them free drinks instead of saying, well, wait a minute. Why don't you just spend your money here? <laughs> Dang, you know, why don't you spend your money here and go down to Molina and ask her for a free drink and see what she says, you know? She going to say, ain't no way, you know? So uh, just reverse, just reverse how, should, how I see it should be, you yeah. know? Uh, uh, and then, you know, had one woman, Pam Knight, uh, and Desney Balin. These are black uh, female artists. Hey, I know how much they make because I used to play music all over Berlin, you know. So I know how much they was making in every club they played in. And being the owner, I talked to the owner, so I knew what was going on. Well, they want, you know, oh, Anthony, man, you know, we all play here, but we want a 1,000 euros. Wait, 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 wait. You just played at the Junction Bar three nights ago. They don't pay nowhere close to a 1,000 euros. So why you want to ask me for more money then you ask the white man, you know, it's Pam Knight. Her mother came down and apologized for her coming down and being so disrespectful, you know, to come and ask me for, I don't know, four or five times than what she's making. You know, I'm thinking I don't get that. I just don't understand that. It's, you know, I guess because they because you're black, they can, you know, uh, they feel they can be more demanding of you. Maybe you like you'll understand, you know, that you're softer. Uh, why? I don't why I'm would you know? That's why would you is. you know? Why would you you know play a, a place owned by a white person? Play there for two hundred euros, and then I come and ask you 
for a thousand. You know, I mean, you like, wait a minute, that ain't making no sense. You know, instead of mm. see for me, I'm like, when we, when we play music, we'd ask to. I mean, we made money, a lot of money, off the white clubs, because we fill them up. Now, we if we play for a person, I think there was one club that had a black manager. Oh, we play there for nothing, just to make him look good. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yo, Do a bro, few favors for your people. Yeah, right. You know, man, we, we really don't need what you're going to pay us. 50 euros? Oh, well, we can live without that, man. You know, you keep that money for yourself. But we're going to fill this place up. You know, fill it up. He get a good reputation. And we go someplace else mm. and charge at the donuts when it was existing. Okay, back in back in the 90s, 150 or 200 marks was good money for one night gig. Well, that's what we're making in other clubs. So we didn't need to exploit our own people, you know? All right. Um, I do want to switch gears for a bit because the audience is just going to understand talking to you is so wonderful. The conversation just flows, like, <laughs> flowing like a faucet. Like a, it just, it just, you know, it's beautiful to, to speak to you. But I do want people to have a little bit of background of you. You came here what year to Berlin? December of 80, I think like December 16th, 1980. Okay, so what the heck brought you to Berlin? I I knew somebody here. Okay. You know, if I know somebody in Paris, Amsterdam, I probably wouldn't be here today. I met a, uh, the summer before, I met an a, a airline uh, attendant, you know, flight, flight attendant. And she was in, I was in D.C. at the time. And uh, she visited, I met her. And she said, anytime you want to get away, you're welcome to come to Berlin. So that December, I needed to get away. Had a very difficult case that I was working with. And I came here to visit, mm -hmm. you know, and um, liked it. And they kept my job. Anytime you want to come back, I was actually working for the mental health department of Old Town Alexander. My job was, was there for me. And I kept my apartment. Well, after like, uh, I think, maybe three months, I quit my job and moved to here. You know, and then I stayed here, I guess, until 84, 85. Then I went back to America and came back here in 89, right before the, I think the... So you had like a five-year break? Something. Four and a half, four, five, and year break. and you and he how like when in eighty nine did you come? I think it was. I'm trying to think. You talking about you know forty years ago? Yeah, but when when did the wall fall again? What the month? The wall fall in eighty nine, November, November, October. So you you came before the wall fell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the wall fell while I was here. You well, know, what I, the heck was that like? <laughs> what was that all about? This oh, hectic, chaotic, beautiful. Frightening, you know. You had a lot of neo Nazis running around crazy. You had a lot of people. I mean, really, you know. That's, yeah. You know, uh, uh, throwing people off of S bonds, and but you had a lot of other beautiful people come here. You had a lot of beautiful dancers because the East opened up. Had all these Russian and Polish ballerinas, and you know, uh, uh, musicians that studied in uh, Russia. They came here, so the music scene was very vibrant. Uh, uh, clubs everywhere. I mean, you name it, there was a club for it, you know. And uh, 
trying to get some folks to take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, you know, because you could get a club for 300 marks a month. I'm serious, you know, because they didn't know who the clubs and buildings belong to, right? Because a lot of them were taken from the Jewish people, and wow. you know, so there's a whole bunch of places. In the East, a whole bunch of places that they had no idea who inherited this property, were the descendants of these people who were killed in the concentration camps, were they still alive? We got to find them. So in the meantime, this, this property goes to the government until we find out who it is. So you could get a club for it, like, like the donuts. The owner got the club for 300 marks a month. He made that money in one night. You know, so. And how much was an, could you buy an apartment for? You could get apartments for 100, let, let's say in today's money, 100 euros in the East. Okay, that's to rent. But, like, what about to purchase? You couldn't hardly buy anything because they didn't know who you buying it from. Oh, God, I understand. Yeah, you okay. can't buy nothing. Who's it belong to, okay. you know? 100 euros? Because uh, <gasps> they didn't know who the building belonged to. And so some of the buildings were left empty. You're talking about right after the Soviet, Soviet Union fell. A lot of apartments were empty. You know, uh, a lot of them had cold heat. The, you know, and oh yeah, I can't. I couldn't do that. They had toilets outside. That could be me. You know, like a, like apartment <laughs> this size. Okay. Yeah. You had a you know your bedroom and the kitchen. Yeah. And, and the bathroom yeah, studio. was outside. Yeah, hundred euros in today's money. You know. Uh, how much? How much of the toilet, bathroom, and kitchen? Um, yeah. How much of the bathroom was inside? <laughs> well. Not much more. Okay. You yeah. Know, not, All right. You know, not much more. I mean, it was cheap. Yeah, it was cheap. It was cheap. It was cheap. Cheap. Because they were still trying to balance uh, East German money, which is basically worth nothing. Mm. Then you had a, a West German mark. You know, so you putting all this money into what was used formerly East Berlin. That's an influx of money. You know, lots of money. So, uh, let's say a hundred marks was worth. Five, four hundred East German marks. So that was a lot of money to them, you know. So uh, uh, everything was cheap in the East. Yeah. You know, you go to the bar, you could get drunk for 10 marks. I mean, you buy a big, big glass of wine like this for two marks, you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, and so, but then they started finding out who owned this building, who owned that building. And the owners returned, and they had to give them so much money for reparations, and rightfully so. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. So, uh, well, I mean, everybody can get reparations except for black people. Yeah, except for thank you, yeah. you know. So, all this started going on, and slowly it started to be, as I say, yuppified in the east now, Rosenthalstrasse, Tourstrasse. Uh, but what did it? What was the vibe like? It was beautiful. Okay. Yeah, except for you, you, you get beat up by skinheads. You know, that was the only real threat anybody felt back then, you know, other than that, you know. What was, okay, how many how many black people did you see? What you mean? Black, black then, like how many black people did you see in a day? Oh, in a day, I don't know, 50, 60. Oh, okay, that's not like too low. Well. I thought you'd be like, none. <laughs> compared to now, you go over there now, you stand over there for... Damn near a week before you see ten black people. 
not working there. I mean, you know, just black people, you know. Go stand on the corner of Rosenthalstrasse and Tourstrasse and see how many black people you see just there, you know. Or go up to that park where we used to hang out at. Yeah. That park used to be full of black people, you know, the uh, Weinbergsberg Park. Yes. You know, and the Cood. Those are all hangouts, you know. But then nobody do heroin. Now, see, people mix up. People who do heroin, they got their own areas. Always been the same area. Rosen, not Rosen, uh, Tour. That's been the heroin spot and Potsdamer Strasse and okay. Bulow Strasse. You know, th- those, even back then, even to this day, those have been the hardcore drugs, okay, drug okay. places. So okay. I don't know what he's talking about, you know, coming here in 2003, you know, real gentrified over there. And, you know, so. Yeah, 2002. So, yeah, I mean, like, probably it was super gentrified. Yeah. Even by then. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, in the in the late nineties it started to change. Well, I don't know who's talking about maybe I misheard, but I don't think I did. All right. So See the thing is crack never really hit hard here. Like it did. It was here. But mainly in the discos. Young white dudes was doing crack cocaine. It never really hit like it did in America. And it surely wasn't amongst black people. You know, so yeah. and that's for yeah. sure. And you were telling me that you had a really horrible incident that involved um, a stabbing. You were stabbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What What happened? Uh, like I told you about this club called M. Ima, this in the bucket. Mm. You know, uh, there was two uh, DJ crews, you know, battling each other. And they're supposed to have what they call these DJ battles, you know. Uh, and they really hated each other. Uh, okay. To the point they were physically fighting, you know. And I was like, I'm not security, you know. But everybody in the club knew me. So if I stood in, in between two people, they would stop fighting. So it got to the point where I said, no, nah, you know. Uh, uh, there was two guys there that were, weren't part of nobody. They were just, you want to fight me? You want two identical twins? And nobody paid them attention, you know. So I said, okay, we had to close upstairs because it was violent. So we're going to close upstairs till we get this under control. Uh, uh, and that, as I was, yeah, I got to leave in like 10 minutes. As I Do was, you? Yeah, what time is it? Four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, as I was going downstairs to get my bag and stuff to leave, these uh, two twins came running down the stairs uh, and attacked me. I didn't know them, had no idea. I was I was just wanted to go home. You know, so I'm not in no security. I'm not here to fight. So I was dealing with these two, the twins, the, th- the guy with the knife, who I didn't know was with them, jumped over the people. I had knocked one guy down. He jumped over him. I thought he was going to run out the door. He ran around me, and he stabbed me in the back. And I, and I never saw him again, you know. So, uh, yeah, and I still got the scars, and, you know. So, uh, but that was, you know, you know, I, I want to say just one of those nights to where it was bad. The vibes were bad, you know. Uh, it should never have happened. Uh, we should have closed the place as soon as they had the 
second, third fight. Yeah, is, definitely. You know, and, yeah. But the people who work there, you know, uh, who own, not I say own, but, you know, what a so-called head, you know, yeah. they're money hungry, you know. After I got stabbed and went to the hospital and uh, uh, they had no idea, because it's a bad wound, you know what I mean? Oh, my God, Anthony. Yeah, I got stabbed in the back. So they didn't know if I was going to live or die. So a guy named uh, Michael Brown, Robin Hemingway, uh, uh, they decided, let's party on. So they partied. Then Catherine, she was one, another friend of mine who worked there, decided, nah, this ain't right. He just got stabbed in the back. We ain't going to stand here and party, act like this, you know. We don't even know if he's dead or alive. I was just got an ambulance and drove away. They want to keep the party party going so they can make more money. And these are so-called friends of mine, so they closed the cafe. After that, that's when me and Catherine became pretty close, you know. So that's why I mentioned the name, Michael Brown and him, Robert Hemingway. You know, they're just greedy people. So what do you say about that, you know? Well, I know we have to be, yeah, I don't, I, I'm so sorry that happened. That is a horrendous wound, and I'm glad you live to tell the tale. Yes, yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> I. Okay, so, again, I want to be mindful of your time, and thank you so much for coming in. I, I, you you got to come in for, like, five more episodes. But, <laughs> okay, so, you're in Berlin. You are a basketball coach, or you have, you've done basketball coaching for, for quite a long time. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so, working with the youth, working with a lot of them are ethnic minorities so what's mr working with the youth ethnic yeah. minorities oh okay ethnic uh, minorities uh, okay. yeah like uh, um so yeah so what is like what is your lay of the land as far as berlin in this in 2023 being a minority being um someone who works with the youth what are you seeing like what is the things that are uh, really hitting you the hardest uh, well, the, well, you're talking about basketball. Mm. Uh, well, you can include football in that, too. Well, I think everybody's aware of the racism in football, you know, and the opportunities that a lot of uh, young black youth don't get, yeah. you know. It's the same in basketball. It's just not as... Uh, well known, you know. So uh, the amount of you know, you, you take a blonde haired kid and he's not as good as a black kid, so forth. Well, they gonna promote him, you, you know, because he's he's white German. Uh, and what happens to the black kid that doesn't get the same chance? Like like the email I sent you about Alba. Yeah, that's the biggest club in Germany, mm -hmm. basketball club. They've had. Since I've known two black coaches, two, okay, in all the years I've been here, and black players, they don't develop them. There's been I don't know how many black kids that I know personally that have quit. So working with the youth and what I see for now, it's the same thing I saw when we started this this program. Ain't much change. We get most of our support from the Turkish community because we got a lot of black and Turkish players. Uh, uh, when we go on trips, which we do, we used to go every other year. We go someplace, and the next summer somebody, some 
some kids from another country would come here. Uh, black folks, we 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 try to we try to elicit help from you know as far as coaches, you know, uh, uh, be mentors to these young black men because a lot of them, young black men grow up, you know, they don't know who the fathers are, or the fathers are went back to Africa or America. They hear nothing but negativity from their German mamas about their daddies and why this, and they make up stories because they don't want to tell the truth. So they make up some non-existence person, and he's black. Are you a father? I'll give you an example. I asked one of my players one time, where's your father at? Now, he's 13 years old. He says to me, uh, I said, you know, he was coming today. Uh, he lies all the time. That's what a young black kid said about his own his daddy. Well, the next practice, the daddy showed up. And so I thought, okay, so daddy's been a coach now. I'm thinking, where's he getting this from? You know, he's hearing this kind of ugly stuff, more likely from his mother, you know. And so being a black mentor, you know, and, and, and dealing with the parents, and a lot of these black kids, they have never had a decent conversation with a black man in their lives. They don't know no black men my age because over the holidays, their birthdays, they spending with the mamas, white German grandparents, grandmama, granddaddy. The Christmas is spent with their mama's family. They don't know the, the daddy's family who happens to be black. So they hear a lot of negative things. So... They come, and, and and the black, the white kids, oh, they, all they know about black people is what they see on the gangster movies and hear on videos, and, you know, we all gangsters. And I had one little Turkish kid come up to me and say, what's up, my nigga? Oh, man, please. You know, I'm 12 years old, you know. So they get to know us, they get a completely different idea of who we are as a people. Now, we practice up at Grillis at Bonhoeff. All they see over the girls of Bonhoeff, most of the black men are selling weed. That's what they see. That's what they yeah. see, you know. Yeah. So, and it's the, the, the biggest mosque in Germany is there. So they see the, the religious black folks going to the mosque, and they see the other brothers maybe going to the mosque and come back out and sell weed. That's what they see. Then they see us, you know, and we, we normal people, and they respect us. Until they come to us, like I said, they ain't dumb. Ain't never had a conversation with a black person. When, where, they, they don't have no black teachers. You know, the lawyers, the doctors, social workers, people at the arms, bus drivers, you know, taxi drivers, Uban people. You know, where are you gonna talk to an adult black person in any position of authority like I am? We run the, our, our club. You know, so. I'm the head person, so they, yeah. you know, that what I what I say goes. They're not used to that, you know. And the black kids that come, when they come from another club, which you get them every year, they've been treated so bad, you know, that they got self worth, self confidence issues. So they come to us and they go, oh, at least I ain't got to deal with this Anthony screaming at me because I'm black or because I'm Turkish. You know, they ain't got to worry about that. I'm screaming at you because you are messing up. Or you're not doing what I told you to do. Or you're not listening. I'm going to scream at you the same way I scream at everybody else. Got nothing to do with who you are, your color. You know, that's refreshing to them. 
you know, and they don't see that, you know. So when we go to games, how they treated by the referees, I mean, it is horrible, you know, and we support them, you know, we're there to back them up. Now, they pay some other team. Oh, you know, that referee wasn't racist. I mean, clearly he was. We had a game, I mean, you know, we had a game last weekend. Players at the game, he's racist. I'm like, yeah, clear. He called tactical. We were saying, whoa, tactical. We were saying, whoa? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like how you talk. I ain't even talking to you. You know, I said, whoa, and you called a tactical. Shut up and let me talk. Oh, no, man, you can't talk to me like that. You keep on talking. I'm going to kick you out of the game. For what? That's how somebody is talking to me. We're saying, whoa. And we winning by 40 points. You know? So Do these people even know what basketball is? They, 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 <laughs> they probably never played it. I mean, they never been to the States, been no basketball no. game. You know? I've had referees want to kick spectators out of the game. Somebody was saying, yo, man, that wasn't no foul. You keep on talking to me, I'm going to kick you out of the game. I said, you can't kick nobody out of the game but saying that wasn't a foul mm -hmm. or that was a foul mm -hmm. or booing. Mm -hmm. You can't kick people out of the game. Hey, if, you won't, if he doesn't leave, I'm going to give the game to the other people. I tell my players, y'all start getting dressed. You know, we leaving. Why? I said, because he's going to kick your daddy out of the game because your father booed. Then what? I said, so he can get the game to the other team. Other coach comes over, starts running off. And I said, no, nah, man, he just said if he does not leave the gym, he going to give you all the game. And all he said was boo. So we leaving. Before he leaves the gym, for this bullshit reason, we going to leave. You can have this game. The game is not worth my dignity. My dignity is worth more than this game that don't mean nothing to nobody, you know. Anthony, I wish you much success and luck. I would love for you to return at some point when, you know, you feel up for it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're and, quite welcome. Um, this, was, this was quite the experience. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's the end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to give Being Berlin a follow on Instagram at beingberlinpod. We'd love to hear from you and talk all things Berlin and Berliners. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Bands, for giving us the opportunity to bring a piece of Berlin to listeners. If you're a hobbyist musician and want to join a rock band with real rehearsals, Bands is a way to meet fellow hobbyists, improve your skills, and have fun. Register at bandsberlin.com and bring back music to your life.